0: Hey everybody, uh, Jeff Mazone here. Uh, you are listening to RENAR Voice, which is Ro Eta, New Alpha Roe, chapter of Chi Sigma Iota, the Counseling Honor Society at Liberty University. Uh, and with me today is our chapter's president, Robert Sutala. Good morning, Robert.
1: Good morning. How are you doing, Jeff?
0: Good, bro. Yeah, this is our second uh, special feature episode, so we're going to just be cutting right into our guest today. Uh, to kind of bypass our usual banter that our families enjoy listening to yeah i'm sure that's not a bad thing for our listeners so (laughs) that's right so would you mind introducing our really really wonderful guest today
1: yeah i am super excited and very honored and and without further ado i want to welcome dr julia sadusky dr sadusky is a clinical psychologist author and speaker who works in denver colorado she completed her undergraduate studies in psychology and theology at Ave Maria University and her doctorate in clinical psychology at Regent University, where she was trained by Dr. Mark Yarhouse. She is also an adjunct professor at Denver Seminary and serves as a youth and ministry educator, offering workshops to faith-based organizations on the intersection of sexuality, gender, and theology. Dr. Sadusky's specialty is in sexual and gender identity research and clinical practice. Dr. Sadusky is currently a research fellow of the Sexual and Gender Identity Institute in Wheaton, Illinois, an advisor to Preston Sprinkles Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender, and recently co-authored with Dr. Markhouse the book, Emerging Gender Identities, Understanding the Diverse Experiences of Today's Youth. Dr. Sadusky, it's a pleasure and honor to have you here this morning. Welcome.
2: Yes, thank you. It's good to be with you both. I'm excited for this.
0: Yeah, and we came across you, Dr. Sugdasi because of that book, uh, Emerging Gender Identities. And the big piece there was that you co-authored that with Dr. Mark Yarhouse. And us, uh, counseling students at Liberty, we read from Dr. Yarhouse in our ethics class, uh, mm-hmm. particularly on, on gender and sexuality. Uh, so that's a big name for us uh, mm-hmm. at Liberty. And so to see you kind of co-authoring that and to find out that you and I have mutual friends uh, from your Mm -hmm. undergrad days, uh, it just seemed perfect to have you on. And uh, we talked about this before. You know, Robert and I, were a little nervous getting into this conversation. You know, we're students. We're learning. We come from uh, Christian and Catholic backgrounds. And, you know, what that means in terms of integrating and intersecting the the theories of gender. Yeah, so we're struggling uh, here. Mm -hmm. So... Just bear with us kind of as we uh, try to have this conversation.
2: Absolutely. Well, you know, you are in good company if you enter this conversation with some trepidation. I mean, I think many of us, many people in general want to step into this space and say things in a way that isn't hurtful, say things in a way that's accurate and and say things in a way that's faithful to the um, spirituality that we bring with us into these conversations. And that makes it hard. Um, I think that what we get to do today, though, is normalize that it's actually better to step into the conversation and make mistakes than not have the conversation at all. Um, and that's why I'm excited that you asked me to, to talk with you both, because I, I think we have a lot to learn here uh, and the time is now. And so if we wait till we get it perfect, we'll never start it. Um, so maybe we just dive in.
1: Yeah, that sounds great. Um, and again, thank you for being here. So to dive in, can you just give us and our listeners some type of foundation, uh, some type of definition on the some of the various terminology, various um Uh, words out there within what you've been dealing with. So things like gender dysphoria, gender theory, gender identity, and really how that relates to say a political public and, and private dimensions, especially as we, as we walk through those, those terminology and those, those items from a counseling perspective, could you just share some of that kind of foundational items?
2: Absolutely. That's such a great place to start because you know, once we get talking, um, language does, it matters, you know, and and we want to be precise and as clear as we're able to be about what we're talking about when we're distinguishing and differentiating different aspects of this conversation. So yeah, let me just give you a couple of terms. So gender dysphoria is the experience of distress related to having a kind of psychological and emotional gender identity, which I'll define in a second, that does not match one's biological sex. Uh, Other language people you'll hear today is birth sex or assigned sex. And and really that's all talking about the same thing, biological sex there. And so gender dysphoria is the experience of distress about a a kind of disconnect or an incongruence there. Um, It's also a clinical term that, can be a mental health diagnosis. So in the current DSM, we have a diagnosis for gender dysphoria that reaches a certain threshold where a person's life uh, is impacted to a pretty significant way um, and degree by their gender-related distress. Um, Then let's talk about transgender identities. So the term transgender is really an umbrella term um, that encompasses the many ways in which people might experience and or present express or live out a gender identity differently from people's whose sense of gender identity is congruent with biological sex okay Um, so the the alternative to transgender is cisgender meaning on the same side of biological sex transgender is on the alternative or another side um, so that's transgender experiences. Uh, there are people who experience gender dysphoria who do not adopt a transgender identity, and much in the same way, there's people who are um, transgender who do not experience gender dysphoria. So we want to kind of differentiate those pieces. Um, and then l- let's differentiate what well, we're what are we talking about when we say biological sex and gender and gender identity? Um, Biological sex or birth sex or assigned sex is really talking about the combination of physical characteristics. These include things like genitals, chromosomes, sex hormone levels. That would be typical of biological males and biological females, okay? Um, gender is the psychological, social, and cultural aspects of being male, female, or another gender identity. And then gender identity is how you or I experience ourselves, even think of ourselves, but not purely cognitively as male or female, masculine or feminine. And, and often drawing from it, the degree to which we experience ourselves as more masculine or feminine or somewhere in between. So that's gender identity. Um, and and so you, you also brought up something that comes from our book about public um, political and private identities right and and really why we did that um, is Mark and I wanted to differentiate how do we approach different conversations because what can often happen is we treat every single person as if they're kind of political advocates for a certain um, way of understanding gender identity and this oftentimes leads us to create caricatures all along the way Um, so What are these terms? Political um, is really a distinction for those who are more advocates for social change around understandings of gender. So some people use the term gender theory here to talk about the idea that the binary needs to be eradicated. That would be what some gender theorists would say is the binary is oppressive. Um, many young people I meet with today will say this to me, you know, the, the binary has been harmful to me, so I don't think of myself in the binary. Um, so the more political identity is those who advocate for social change around that. Um, they, they kind of call for a certain response from, from us as we engage with one another. And then we have the public identity. That's I'm in the grocery store and there's a, a transgender person who's helping me with something and I'm engaging with them, that they have a public transgender identity and and we get invited into different conversations, I, I think, in those moments. And then personal identity is your neighbor, your friend, your child, your cousin, who is asking questions around gender identity, could experience gender dysphoria, could not. And sadly, I've seen a lot of people react the same way to all three groups. And I think each engagement requires um, nuance and knowing who we're actually approaching uh, and, and what's going to be a respectful, charitable way to, to sh- talk and share with that person. So um, let me pause there and, and see what thoughts you all have about that.
0: That's great. I feel like I just gained three graduate school credits listening to you break all that mm-hmm. down for us.
2: <laughs> That's There really you helpful. go. For free. Yeah, <laughs>
0: Uh, it's just it's so clear and 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 helpful, but also helping us understand it, you know from from where we are and also where we need to be uh, mm-hmm. in order to be present to, you know the person across from us. Um, and I, I think that leads in kind of the next question that we had is that, you know, can you help us understand how we, as counselors or counseling students and as Christians, how we can respond both professionally and personally to those encountering any range of these experiences? And secondly, what would you say to someone uh, in our profession who says that it's not possible to practice ethically while remaining true to one's uh, faith-informed moral principles about these issues?
2: Great question. So yeah, that that first idea of, you know, how do we respond professionally, right? Um You know, if you go through a clinical training program, you get a degree, master's in counseling or social work, a doctorate in in something, Um, you are not equipped through that training to approach these conversations clinically in the ways that we need to. There are so many people that I have met with who say, I am so sick of going to providers where I'm teaching them. (laughs) about my experience. And and there's always, because we're unique human beings, there's always a sense that we get to learn from our clients how they live and move in the world. So to study and to go to trainings and follow up lectures and conversations like this is not sufficient to perfectly understand the human person. And that is not a get out of jail free card, though, (laughs) for the the demands on us as clinicians to get advanced trainings around topics uh, when we're working with diverse groups. So the field itself is shifting rapidly in our understandings of gender identity, especially in the last six years that I've really entered into this space. And so it would not even be sufficient to get a degree and then five years later not go back and learn more. And so what can you do professionally? Make it your job, make it your responsibility to be educated on these topics. And everybody has their kind of favorite people, favorite professors, favorite supervisors who weigh in. I would also challenge you to look out and seek perspectives of people you don't think to go to on these topics. Who do you disagree with most? Who's on the opposite end of the table from you on some of these pieces? And how are you learning from them, hearing from them? So that when you say, yeah, I don't, I see it a little bit differently. You know what you're talking about there and you've heard the best of alternative ways of approaching complex topics. Um, Unfortunately, given our current polarization, I, I think we can blacklist one another and silo in our areas of what we perceive as competence. Um, You know, when I go to American Psychological Association conferences and sit across from somebody who really um, represents a different worldview from me, I learn from them. Do we, at the end of the day, agree on everything? No. Do we like each other? Yeah, I mean, these are some really wonderful people. And um, my hope is that they think similarly about me, but I I think we can create caricatures, especially in conversations around gender that we're only gonna hear from our people. And that in in my experience has been a mistake. Um, that's one thing I I think I would say advanced training and learning from people across a spectrum of belief systems and um, clinical strengths personally, what can we do? You know, to be honest with you, before I got into this work, I did not talk about gender identity much with people. It did not come up in small groups. It did not come up at the dinner table. And I regret that. Um, I think I would be a better Christian today if I had made the questions of other people my own. Instead of years ago saying, oh, you know, that doesn't apply to me. So I'm not going to think about it until I'm sitting across from my child and they say, hey, mom, I have gender dysphoria. I want to be ready for those conversations. So personally, we need to be talking about points of tension, about theology. How does it apply? How does it not apply? And approach conversations around theology with great humility here. Um, A lot of harm can be done when we trivialize the pain of people navigating uh, questions around gender identity and certainly gender dysphoria. And when people for whom it's not their experience come in and say, hey, let me tell you how you do this as a Christian. Um, We don't have much skin in the game when we approach it that way. So personally wrestling with what are the points of tension and how can I hear from people actually walking this out as Christians to better understand how we, that's the body of Christ, can walk alongside them. So that's what I would say about that. Um, I don't, yeah, I want to dive into that second question too, but let me pause there. Any kind of thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, Dr. Sudesky, the one thing that I'm wrestling with, and, and, and I know that you can probably provide some insight is, is, you know, there's there's a there's obviously a faith element. There, there's a, a Christian belief element that, that has certain beliefs associated, especially related to, to gender, you know, and biological mm-hmm. sex, but there's also an element of, of love. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, that's what God is. God is love. So how do you, how do you basically take those two kind of truths and, and navigate through that with your client? I, and that's something that I'm trying to wrestle with is staying true to, to who I am, my faith, but also being true to loving that person in the, in the, in the right way. Can you, can you just share how you navigate through that kind of that complex dynamic?
2: Yes. Well, you know, I think of it as a really uh, good example of a dialectic. So right in dialectical behavioral therapy, talk about two things that seem to be in contrast or conflicted to coexist at the same time, right? Truth and love. And, you know, I even feel some hesitancy to use those terms because they get used in these conversations as kind of um, weapons to hurt people. And um, so the key is that both can coexist at the same time. And then it's a matter of roles. Like what role do I step into when I'm ministering to somebody, mentoring somebody who's a, a teenager that I work with? how is that different from when I step into a clinical role as a professional, um, as a psychologist? You know, I think one thing that strikes me is that when people step into my office, they don't tend to come in and say, Hey, Dr. Sedeski, can you approve of everything that I'm doing or thinking or saying in my life? If anything, you know, as soon as I share my perspective on something, my clients are ready to kind of buck up against it. And, and that's okay because they're their own person trying to figure out life. And so So I think there's a kind of differentiation that happens between me and not me in the clinical room where I do have my own deeply held convictions about a lot of things. And I also believe in a God who gives people free will and that the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, isn't only living, moving and active in me, uh, but that he can live and move and act in the person across from me in real time and that they can be at a different place than me. And it's my job and also I think my responsibility as a Christian to show them um, receptivity, uh, unconditional regard. I am here with you. I am invested in your life all along the way. And that if you turn left instead of right, sure, I can walk away from you, but I, I don't feel called to do that. Even if the left turn is something I would not choose for myself and something I would not choose for you. Um, and that happens, to be honest, the more I'm a clinician all the time in my work is, oh, I wouldn't make that choice for that person or, or I would make that choice for that person. And how do I not let my own perspective drive this other person where they come in thinking that it's their job to um, figure out what I want from them and then I'm just one more source of authority that's telling them what to do. I want to empower people to use their will, to use their intellect. And if they're a Christian, to use their relationship with God, to draw from that. The saddest thing about this space is that many people navigating gender identity questions believe that that questioning precludes them from a relationship with God. That is a tragedy to me. And many of them will say to me, you know, it's not about can I you know, how do I integrate my faith and my gender questions? It's, I can't, I can't do that by by virtue of what I'm asking here. And, and I would like us to move towards a bit more nuance around and normalization really of the ways that many of us as Christians wrestle with our faith, wrestle with theology, and if we're not, we probably would benefit from doing it more <laughs> to make sure that we're convinced by it um, before we then bring it into conversations and act like we're following it completely and others are not.
1: Yeah, that's that's great. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and it sounds like, to just tie it back to what you said before, this doesn't happen just just in in class. This is something that takes a lot of education and a lot of listening, it sounds like, a lot of, mm-hmm. of sitting with. The, the client other individuals other perspectives um and i appreciate how you're able to still sounds like hold on to your own convictions your own faith your own belief but yet you don't allow that to navigate the, the client or the direction that you're going uh, with that client and, and, and just being able to sit with them and, and and listen i think is is such a helpful reminder to when we're when we're dealing with some of these things that may go against our own beliefs, our own faith. Mm-hmm.
2: Yes. And I, I, I do, you know, it's really not always as, as black and white around. Yes. It's completely against everything I believe. I mean, I, I think for many of the people I work with, they share my belief systems and they're simply like, how does this all fit together? Um, you mentioned listening and, and I start to laugh there because I mark your house and I wrote a small pamphlet um, on approaching gender identity and gender dysphoria. And somebody's critique of it was, you know, you read this and it tells you to listen to people. And and they were like, why are you telling us that? I read like a hundred pages to learn that I need to listen. And the truth is we're bad at that actually. Uh, as as people in our culture attuning to one another, hearing from one another, empathizing with one another, is much harder than disagreeing. Actually, it, it requires more cognitive complexity. And so, yes, listening—it's that. That's where we start. And if we were really great at that, if I heard from people a lot that fellow Christians were ready to listen here, um, I don't think I would be saying that. But but sadly, um, that's where we start. And maybe. It gives us something concrete to focus on first.
0: You know, that reminds me of uh, in the book, you know, that, that passage from John 8 with Jesus and the Pharisees and the adulterous woman. And gosh, we've all read and heard that passage so many times, but yet the way that you all presented that was like mind blown. I mean, I, I the margins mm-hmm. in my Bible right now are filled with what you all wrote about that. And just this idea of, you know, in that scene, how we can so often be like the pharisees who are so Mm -hmm. caught up in what's right and what's wrong and and totally missing the person Mm -hmm. and our lord comes in and and he you say elsewhere in the book this position of intentional relationality Mm -hmm. uh just being there with the woman hearing her story bending down to where she is in her pain and fear and whatever the the history that led her to that moment and it's an encounter of love first
2: Mm -hmm.
0: and then you all say and it's it's from there that he there jesus therefore challenges her go and sin no more right and and for me that was just i needed that because especially in my younger years i could be so caught up in the dichotomous right and wrong the black and white and just totally miss mm-hmm. the person and not do any listening at all right um and so that was a big takeaway for me and for my wife just kind of sharing you know your ideas you know I, I we had touched on this earlier you know how do we respond to someone that says it's not possible is this to the the christian who's still in the black and the white and and, and can't see how they can remain present and practice ethically uh while still remaining true to the those moral principles, regardless of whether or not they're stuck in dichotomous thinking or not.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I, th- I think it, it feels and becomes pretty quickly a, a false choice there. I mean, I would I would talk to people who do it, who do step into the spaces and, and, you know, I'll be the first to tell you, there are a lot of points of tension when you become a clinician, a psychologist, a counselor, uh, you will not be comfortable a lot of the time in the work that we do. And that is not in this area of loan, that is across the board, because you're stepping into the pain and mess of people's lives, and it is not clean. And so if you're looking for something kind of black and white, clean cut, that doesn't demand much of our uh, skin in the game, then I would be an accountant, really, and <laughs> my brother's one. And so uh, it's it's pretty clear, right? Um, and here, here, it's just Different. It it takes on and a demands something different from us as people, as professionals, to step into spaces where we bring our own perspectives, our own worldviews, our biases, our own experience. And so, how do you do ethical work? in the midst of having your own deeply held convictions, my thought is the same way that an atheist is called to do it, or the same way that, you know, a Buddhist is called to do it. If they're sitting across from me as a client is that we're actually meant to step into spaces with people when we don't hold all of the same beliefs. And we believe as clinicians, we can still support them. Mm -hmm. We can be good enough (laughs) therapists for, for others. And and, and yes, points of tension and yes, ethical dilemmas. And yes, you got to be up with your ethics board and don't be doing things that your science is saying are damaging to people. Unless you really, really have evidence for what you're doing, we're not bringing stuff into the clinical room that have no backing. And so you want to know ethical guidelines and you want to believe them. I mean, that's, we step under those when we're clinicians, and then we all hold backgrounds. I mean, an atheist has beliefs and values and biases. I have mine and and we seek supervision. Um, and you do that here. I, I think it's when you step into it, I, I think I was more afraid going into it that it would be harder than it was. And it's also harder in ways I didn't anticipate, if that makes sense. Um, be not afraid. I mean... <laughs> You are in good company if you're stepping into this space humbly with questions. Um, if we waited again till we got it perfect, we would never help anybody.
1: Yeah, you Dr. Sadeska, you mentioned accounting. I had to, uh, an account I had to laugh because actually the profession of choice from all our podcast guests so far has been dentist. Uh, we've had... <laughs> We've had several right. several individuals that, that said that they they were they were thinking about becoming a dentist so um, the now we can add accountant to, uh, to their right. life career choices there you go there you go yes
2: yeah dentist is a little different right you pull out that tooth and it's out and it's clean it's in there and black and pretty, white
1: yeah pretty yeah.
2: objective
1: there um, it, and kind of kind of veering off of that it, we are all broken individuals we all have our own, our own history, our own makeup. And and that's going to look different for everybody, depending on, you know, a lot of different factors. So we obviously bring that to the table. And obviously from an athlete, as you just mentioned, we we have to withhold from leading or guiding our our client based off of of that history or that belief, but also it shapes who we are. And and it is part of our identity. and, And nor do I think that we ignore that, but from a, From an accountant practical standpoint, could you could you just share with me uh, and our listeners about some and in the book you you talk about some different postures which uh, by which the Christian view on transgender and emerging. Uh, gender identities can 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 you walk through that and just give us a little bit of kind of some best approach some some real practical stuff for our listeners because you know many of us are counseling students that are listening to this it while we get it in a little bit in our text um, we may get a little bit in in practice but to actually hear from you and in, in in your experience I think would be a benefit of having those some practical measures that we can, we can think about and apply as we navigate this kind of this dynamic?
2: Yeah. So in the book, you know, and it really actually comes from Mark's earlier book, Understanding Gender Dysphoria, there's these three lenses through which Christians certainly, and I really all people approached uh, gender identity conversations and, you know, I'll kind of nuance it for for Christians here that um, these three lenses are the integrity lens, the disability lens and the diversity lens. Integrity lens would uh, be the group of people who would say gender dysphoria confuses a sacredness of maleness and femaleness. And there are certain ways of resolving gender dysphoria that are violating that sacredness. So things like hormones or um, surgeries. So people within the integrity lens would say that the call for people with gender dysphoria is transformation, conversion, um, coming into uh, congruence with biological sex. Why do we call that the integrity lens? Mark says it's, it's because of the people in that group call themselves the ones who have the most integrity. Okay. Then we would say as Christians probably that that integrity lens draws really strongly from Genesis one and two, kind of God's creational intent. Then there's the disability lens, right? This is the one that would say that gender dysphoria is a variation that occurs in nature, much in the same way that intersex conditions uh, occur in nature uh, where a person might be born with ambiguous genitalia, and uh, not clearly through chromosomes, hormones, or, in, or Uh, gonads, clearly biologically male or female, that these things occur in nature. Lack of congruence suggests something's not functioning properly, but it does not come with moral significance. So the call would not be transformation conversion from sin, it would be more, how do I live with almost a disability, that this is a non-moral reality to be addressed with compassion. People who are not Christian would say, yeah, kind of happened in nature, people who are might draw from the fall, Genesis 3, that everything is touched by the fall, including experience of gender identity for all of us, and then in varying degrees for some of us. Then we come to the diversity lens. This probably represents the broader culture. Um, our, our, Our field is much more represented, I think, in this lens that would say gender incongruence, and gender diverse presentations are reflections of a sense of identity and a culture to be celebrated as expressions of diversity. And so this offers people identity, meaning, purpose, community, uh, which is why, you know, I'm not surprised that actually increasingly people are drawn to categories around gender identity that are much, more distinct from what we've understood in the past, because it gives people a sense of meaning, identity. How do I make sense of how I live and move in the world? Oh, here's a, here's a community and a language for that. So what do we do? Okay. You know, what do I do? I, I, I actually first start with locating myself in the three lenses, which fits most with where I'm at today, And then I locate people I love in that lens or other lenses and and use that for perspective taking and think to myself, what are the strengths of each lens? What are the challenges uh, that come from adopting each lens? I think the integrity lens is strong in Genesis one and two. It's got a scriptural foundation and and a theological tradition behind it that gives us a a starting point um, that there is integrity in sex differences. Um, That experiences of gender dysphoria, intersex experiences, um, in my mind, coexist with what is kind of most common and normative um, gender experience. And so I don't want to throw away the binary. I'm not prepared to do that. Um, So draw from the best of that lens. What I think that does poorly, though, is um, moralizing gender-related distress. Um, Attributing gender dysphoria as sin um, is is not something that I'm prepared to do after sitting with people and seeing the lack of volition in what it is they're navigating. Um, Disability, I think, is really strong in compassion, strong in Genesis 3. I think uh, we as Christians want to live in glorification now, (laughs) and we're in the time of sanctification. And so I think that lens does um, justice to that. And it also pulls for compassion um, when we don't understand what another person is going through all the time. And I think that's necessary here. I think we too often have um, moralized what what I find to be a non-moral reality when it comes to gender dysphoria um, while still acknowledging there are decisions people get to make um, in this area. And I'm also not prepared to say that they're all amoral decisions. Then we get to diversity and I think this is the hardest for many Christians to see the value in but I already mentioned it you know if our churches have struggled in the last 20 years to offer a sense of identity meaning purpose community to people asking questions around gender we just have we have not done that well uh if you walk into um kind of a LGBT group, a a secular LGBT center, people will welcome you with a hug and say, welcome your home, your family. We don't have that in many of our faith traditions and faith communities for people navigating this space. And that's a mistake on our part. And that's something that we can do better. And that's a strength of that lens is it does. It gives people a sense of, hey, here's where you go from here. Let's walk this out with you. We're committed to you. We are your family of choice. Um, I think where that falls short is, is probably within the lack of um, kind of scriptural foundation for some ways that that gets played out. I think there is a movement towards deconstructing all norms of sex and gender. And I, th- I think that's um, pretty presumptuous given the length of time that, that those categories have been useful, helpful, and also Um, drawn from biological realities on average. And so I I think sometimes the conclusions drawn by members of the diversity lens would be different than the ones that I would draw. Um, But how do we maintain in in our own hearts and minds integrity of sex differences without moving to rigid stereotyping as the rule or as a sign of virtue? We talk about this in the book. that really we have become steeped in in Christian communities, that rigid gender stereotypes are a sign of holiness. I think that's a mistake here. Um, But how do we understand and appreciate the value of sex differences? What does it tell us about who God is and about who we are in relationship with one another? I think it's instructive to a degree. Um, How do we actually learn about the experiences of those in our midst who experienced gender related distress who are asking these questions and commit to walk this out with them even though it's messy and then what are the pathways for meaning purpose you know we've written on what spiritual resources can a person navigating the space draw from uh, sometimes looking at questions of theodicy theology of suffering um, and looking at the ways that we can kind of carry the burdens with one another one uh Christian person who experienced gender dysphoria said that the most helpful way means or support for coping with it was that her family believed her, that it was real, and they would not give her a hard time if she didn't go to a black tie event because she didn't want to wear a dress, that they knew this was real, that this was not a figment of her imagination or a delusion, that her experience was real, they believed her. And they didn't ask her to do things that she was not in a position to do or things that would make the gender dysphoria peak. I think that gives her community and a sense that you matter, you belong here, and we wanna help you on this process. We're not leaving you over there and saying, go pick up your cross and follow Jesus over there because that feels easier than us getting into the weeds with you.
0: You know, just listening to you particularly that part about where we as a church have been and um you know I, I think I think I need help just understanding you know that difference between approval and acceptance uh, mm-hmm. of of where someone is with all of this and I think of like you know Catholic churches here in the city um in New York City just very much um controversial in their yes, yes. trying to be welcoming mm-hmm. um that can be very confusing. Uh, we can think of certain, uh, you know, Father Martin, um, just positions that he takes. And then, and then even locally and where where I live upstate, just the different Protestant churches that are here too, kind of the same thing. Um, you know, if there's a a pride pride symbol on the front doors of the church, what is that communicating, um, to the, to the community, both those who are in the LGBT community and those who are in the Christian community? Um, yeah, just kind of struggling with, uh, you know, where, where are we? Where do we need to be mm. with that?
2: Well, I, I, you know, I'm going to use a kind of honest response here that we need the Holy Spirit to help guide us in these conversations. And I think when we focus on getting our theology right or telling the, our friends that we have our theology right, we don't pray about this. We don't ask the Holy Spirit, how ought we be reaching out to people who are Christian and identify within the LGBT community. Because again, it's, it's, are those our people? Or do we see them as other different because of aspects of experience and identity that differentiate? Um, So, so it's, it's costly, and it, it it does create complexity and also controversy. And this is where it does, it gets muddy, it gets hard. um, Because Sometimes when I use the word, accept, support, people go to what they've heard other people mean by that in their mind. Oh, you mean this? Oh, you mean that? Oh, you're telling me about your theology on gay marriage. Um, to be honest, I, I can give the same talk to two different churches, two weeks in a row, and by one church be told you're way too liberal, you're way too progressive. And by the next church, you're way too conservative. What the heck is going on here? And so how do I resolve that? You know. Pretty soon you realize that, okay, if I'm here to make other people on all sides give me a thumbs up, I'm going to fail pretty quickly. But if I'm here to figure out an answer to God of how do I love the people in my life, the person across from me in this moment, and if they look a certain way, if they dress a certain way, if they talk about themselves in a certain way, and I withhold love, that's on me because I'm the one saying that it's the two commandments to love God and love others. Now, does love look like agreeing with everything another person presumes? No. Ask any married couple that. Um, you know, we sometimes disagree vehemently when we love people, but how do we disagree? Do we intentionally antagonize another person? If I know that a word or a phrase, a label, activates another person, do I intentionally use it to poke them? Um, And is that out of a place of charity, really? Or is that out of a place of pride? I I cannot answer that question for other people. I only have to answer it for myself. And and that helps me, actually. (laughs) Because if I have to worry about what everybody thinks of me, and if everybody thinks I'm too liberal or too conservative, I would have quit a long time ago. But if it's about, God, how do I give your love, look with your love. And this is where I think Johnny it is is helpful. Um, is he encountered her. He stepped in, he defended her. He put his body on the line in front of her. And he did not say, hey, what's your theology first? He said, you are a child of God. I'm stepping in here. You are made in the image and likeness of God. I'm stepping in to defend you first. And it's only out of an encounter with a real person that any of us say, I want to do whatever you're asking me to do, God. And so the problem is, is that we withhold God, I think, sometimes from people. And we say, you've got to behave first in the ways that we'd like you to. That's a strategy. And it's one many people use. And I don't find it to be very effective in a lot of areas, let alone here.
0: Robert and I are typing back and forth in the chat box and as you we were speaking I said dang she's good and he
1: wrote back immediately heck yeah. <laughs> yeah that 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 was so good that that was right on point I I, I mean I, I was getting goosebumps you know just because yeah you were preaching you know <laughs> it was good that was that was truth that was Fuego. and and, and I, I I appreciate how you're centering around God you're centering around doing as God's will, not my own, and, yes. and and using the Holy Spirit to navigate you and obeying those what Jesus says are the two greatest commandments: love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and and love each other. I think that is such a critical compass for us. I mean, that's really what it is as we navigate these these rough waters. And not just in this, but there, there's so many other social racial complexities that we're dealing with as as a body mm-hmm. um, but as a body body parts are different they're unique they 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 serve different functions and, and and the body is truly a representative i believe is jesus when we come together and we 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 respect and appreciate those differences whatever it may be and so as we kind of wrap up here, even though I, I'd love to keep going with this, this is, this is really good. And we may have to end up having you on for a part two uh, of this, but where do we go from here? Cause I, I don't know if there's an easy answer and I, I don't think there should be an easy answer, but, but where as maybe as both professionals and as Christians, where do we go from here?
2: Well, I'll answer that in a roundabout way because I'm a therapist um, and I'll tell you a story. So um, when I first got into this work, I had a, a friend who was asking about my research and, and I was sharing with him about uh, what I was learning about gender identity. And, and he said, can I be honest with you? He said, when I see a person who's transgender walking down the street, I turn my nose up at them. And I need to repent of that because I am not seeing the image of God in them and that's on me. And he also said, can I I be honest with you about something else? I feel this hesitancy to keep having this conversation because it's challenging me. It's humbling me and it's demanding something of me. And that's hard as human beings. And thank God (laughs) for his humility and honesty because I think it's more than many of us can say about where we find ourselves when we start these conversations. And and so I I think it presents a a model for us to look at our own hearts. You know, we can get caught up in talking about bathroom bills and talking about legislation and what we think about that and and survey our own hearts and and ask ourselves, where have I loved well? Um, Where have I loved poorly? When it comes to talking with people around gender identity and talking to people who experience this themselves and if you're one of those people who says i don't know anybody who's navigating this i always would give the caveat that you know of and why might it be that people haven't shared or don't share or don't share fully what they're navigating i think it's because they know on some level that that we are not always equipped to sit in those moments of tension. And so invest, commit in this moment. If, If you at all, like I do feel a sense of anger at the injustices, the ways that there are people not in our churches today because they're afraid that they won't be received. And that's not because it's true that they won't be received. It's they're afraid. And and I can understand why, given some of the experiences some have had, but make a commitment to learn, make a commitment to repent, to apologize to people in our lives um, and and to God for the ways that we've hurt one another in these spaces. And then begin to look around and say, what, what's one thing that I can do differently differently? Um, to communicate the love of God to the LGBT community, to people navigating this space that uh, probably gives us enough to go off of for a good little while.
0: I, I got a little choked up there, at that story about your friend, mm-hmm. um, just the power of the honesty and what that leads to, mm-hmm. you know, and and I think, yeah, that I think that comes as a challenge to to, to myself and to Robert. Um, yeah, yeah, that that's is fantastic. Uh, you're such a gift, and I'm I'm so honored to to have you as a sister in the Lord. You know, and and it's encouraging to know that you're you're out there and you're you're working to build up the kingdom and and you know, like our Lord says, the kingdom God's like a big net. <laughs> and it's meant to draw in everybody um and sometimes i don't know if i'm the best fisherman uh so this has been a it's been a great great conversation and um thank you so much for for being here and your honesty and your truth and your anointing uh in this work we're so grateful to you
2: Well, thank you for stepping into it. I'm really an honor to be here and honor to share some of the stories that people have entrusted with me. And, um, yeah, I always am grateful because I like you am aware that we're a lot more like Peter than than we'd like to admit sometimes. And, and God chose Peter and he chooses us. And, uh, sometimes I think that's to remind us that we're not him. So.
1: Yeah, I agree. Uh, just real quick, Dr. Sadesky, you know, I want to make sure that uh, our listeners have an opportunity to get the book. Again, it is uh, Emerging Gender Identities, Understanding the Diverse Experiences of Today's Youth. Um, can you just share where they may find out? I assume Amazon. I know Jeff will yes. put the, uh, the link into the description. Um, is there any other places that they could they could find that information or maybe even find more about you? and and some of the work that you're doing
2: sure thing yes so amazon has the book barnes and nobles has the book um we were published through brazos press so brazos has has the book available um if you want to follow the work i'm doing i do have a website it's pretty easy, www.juliasudesky.com. So first and last name um, keeps it pretty clean. And uh, on there, you can follow my mailing list, which gives you updates about local trainings. It also has kind of upcoming events, speaking trainings that people can track. And if you're local to Colorado, you know, you might find those here. Otherwise, once covid subsides, hopefully we will be traveling elsewhere as well. So, um, yep, get on the website, uh, get on the mailing list. That, that would be another way. And then Facebook you can find me, Dr. Julia Sadesky on um, Facebook as well.
0: Great. And just before we close out, I think you and I had had spoken before that I believe you said that you and Dr. Yarhouse are working on another work uh, more geared toward a clinical audience. Is that correct?
2: That's correct. Yes. We've got a book coming. Uh, So Mark had written a book called Sexual Identity and Therapy, which is a great resource if you're wanting to understand better the intersection of faith and sexual identity as a clinician and and how do we do competent ethical work there. Uh, This one will be a kind of parallel around gender. And so it's um, yeah, the gender identity and therapy and um, not no kind of publishing date, but that is in process right now.
1: That's great. And maybe, maybe when that comes out, we'll get you back on Mm -hmm. and uh, talk about that as well. Give us a reason to to dig a little bit more into and do an episode too. That sounds that sounds good to me.
2: Sounds good to me as well. I'd look forward to it.
1: So on behalf of of all of us in our chapter, uh, Dr. Sadeski, thank you so much again for just investing the time and being with us. Uh, it is a true honor and a privilege to talk with you. And just uh, I, I got so much out of it. And I think our listeners will too. So thank you so much. And, um, and just just, we'll continue the conversation and uh, and I hope that we can continue to uh, have an open forum to have these types of discussions as well thank you well thank you everybody for listening uh, to Renar our voice we hope you will continue to listen to us uh, we'll be back again with some uh, some of our original content as well as our our traditional format so feel free to check us out on any of the podcast platforms that you may be subscribed to. Jeff, as always, thank you very much. I appreciate your co-leadership on this. And Mm. I just want to wish everybody a, a blessed day. Thank you all.